I am so, so excited for this morning, uh, truly, because uh, this is a weird week. Can I be honest with you? This has happened maybe three times uh, in, in my ministry where uh, I have gotten my whole message done. I'm excited about it. I feel good about it. And for whatever reason, I just get this sense from God that this isn't the message. Uh, I'll never forget, it happened one time uh, when I was serving in a church in Michigan, and it was Saturday night about 9 o'clock. I was going over my notes. I was I was like, this is great. And for whatever reason, God just gave me this idea that, hey, no, 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 you're going to switch some things up. So, forewarning, this morning's message is not the message that I intended originally, but it's a message that I believe, for whatever reason, um, God wanted someone who's here this morning, someone who's listening online this morning to hear. And I truly believe that. This morning... I want to talk about opposition, and we're going to talk about it from uh, the lens of Nehemiah's story, and I'm going to bring you up to date on uh, Nehemiah's story in uh, just a moment, uh, but here's the, here's the truth. Opposition is not just possible. Opposition is inevitable. Every single person in this room will experience opposition in their life. I mean, even, even the littlest kids, like this morning when we did the dedications, they experience opposition. Uh, parents sometimes are just jerks, right? Because you just want to cry and you don't, for whatever reason, the parents don't want you to. That's awful. Those poor kids. We all experience opposition at some point. And it's not something that we should just sort of like think like it's possible it could happen. It's inevitable. You know, honestly, in, even in parenting, there's this reality that it is an inevitable thing that your child, as much as we don't want them to experience it, is going to experience hardship. Jesus himself, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, he told us this. This is a promise. He says this. He says, I have told you things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. He doesn't say you might have trouble. He says you will have trouble. You can bank on it. But remember, in me you can have peace and take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, when opposition arrives, oftentimes I think the issue sometimes can be is we don't feel like we can see beyond it. We don't feel like we can see beyond it. And let's be honest, no one really likes it. But you know what's interesting? So I like to, anyone else like to listen to podcasts? I love podcasts. I listen to sports podcasts, business podcasts, church podcasts, all sorts of different things. Uh, Isn't it kind of weird how like radio used to be kind of dead, and now it's kind of alive, but it's not really radio anymore. Anyways, I was listening to a podcast recently um, about leadership, and they were interviewing someone who works in uh, sort of like the uh, like world soccer stage, because you know how in, in the rest of the world, soccer is a huge deal. It's this you know huge industry. It's the most popular sport worldwide. And they were talking about how there are these academies, especially in Europe, where there are players who even by the time they're like five, six years old, are getting put into these programs. For whatever reason, they start seeing these kids and seeing talent in them and different things in them, and they begin to put them into these schools where they're, um, you know, learning to be a better soccer player, and their whole life is focused on that track. And now, there's a lot of possible counseling issues that could happen because of this. We're not going to get into that this moment. But what I found phenomenally interesting, they said, was they've become uh, able to, in many ways, predict who will be the next great soccer player. And it's not completely based upon what we would think. It's not just based upon who is in the best condition, who has the most natural uh, strength, ability, speed, things like that. Those are all important and can be hugely great. What they said, though, is they found that the people who they, the the children they see who will succeed the most are the ones who are the most resilient. They have this, this sort of 
courage, this, this, this way about them that when things don't go their way, when opposition comes, they have something inside of them. Maybe it's a character trait. Maybe it's, it's just a will to want to win that they can push beyond it. And they say what's phenomenally interesting is they've seen players, kids, who end up fizzling out who had much greater skills, natural athletic ability, but these other kids just had this will to win, this will to push through. And I think that's true. I think in life, the most people that I know who are uh, what we might deem as successful or make it out of different situations, it's not because they're always the most gifted or uh, best looking or smartest, but they're oftentimes the people who are willing to just deal with the opposition in front of them. They didn't run away from it. They didn't look for someone else to, to fix it for them. They took it head on. And in the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah fits the bill as a person who's incredibly resilient. If you've never heard the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was this man who we find a, his journal in the Old Testament. And what had happened was Nehemiah was a man who, who was, an, uh, was an Israelite person. He was a person who uh, came from this line of people who God had this special relationship with. And God's special relationship with his people was solely intent on the idea of having a beautiful relationship with these people that would help draw the rest of the world into a relationship with God. And so at one point, the Israelite people had this great kingdom and they were doing great, but because of their sin, their rebellion, their unfaithfulness, eventually they became captured by enemy empires and they were exiled, they were sent away. And there were some who still remained, but it was this reality that the people no longer really had a home anymore. They were all sorts of uh, just destruction going on for them. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. He had this cush job. And one day he heard the news about how the, 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 the city of Jerusalem lied in ruin, that it was susceptible to enemy attacks, and that it just was a shell of what it used to be. And he felt after praying that God was calling him to go back to his ancestral hometown that he didn't know he had never been to and go back there and lead the people in a rebuilding of this wall. Now, last week we found out this idea that calling is something that God calls all of us and calling will always cost us something. Anything worthy of being called to will cost you something. And Nehemiah, for example, left comfort, wealth, dependability, having no idea what would lie before him. But he left because he felt this beautiful call. And this morning, though, we're going to talk about the fact that while Nehemiah got there, and yes, the people were willing, for the most part, to want to be a part of rebuilding a wall, he dealt with different uh, opposition at different times. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, if not, it's going to be up on the screen. And we're going to read some funny names this morning that you will probably not find on the top 100 list on like Baby Center and things like that. Um, but what ended up happening is they began to do the rebuilding process. And, and we'll pick up right here uh, in chapter 4. You're going to find out the first wave of opposition that Nehemiah experienced. It says, when, when uh, Sandblatt, what a great name, uh, Sandblatt. Anyone have any Sandblatts in their family? No? Um, heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly intense. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish, finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobi the Ammonite, who was on his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up, it would break down their wall of stone. 
Now this again gives us this, this, this picture, this reality that it was kind of embarrassing how bad the wall was. And in that culture, if you did not have a, a defense system there, if you didn't have some sort of wall, you were constantly going to be attacked by an enemy. You were constantly going to be taken over. You know, last week we talked about this reality that all of us have brokenness. The title of this series is called Nehemiah, Fixer Upper Story. And we've been talking about this reality that all of us, our lives are kind of like a fixer upper story, like you'd watch on uh, HGTV. And uh, where, where, where there's something that is broken and, and there's someone who comes and says, I can see something that could be beautiful if we would restore this. And we talked about last week how the reality is if we don't take care of the brokenness in our lives, that we're susceptible to attacks from the enemy, that things like our joy can be taken away from us, that, that relationships can be broken down. And so we must work on rebuilding our life. We must work on allowing God to just restore us to who he says we are. But again, Nehemiah is experiencing some opposition already. He has, a, he has these two guys who are saying, like, we, we can't have this happen. This is not good. And so while there's opposition happening, Nehemiah decides that I am not going to allow this opposition to define me. I'm not going to let it stop me. And so this is what it continues on in verse 4 saying. It says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But Samblat and Tobai and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed and they were very angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble. This is a really key verse in all of Nehemiah's book. It says this, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. You see, what was happening is there were other people groups around the Jerusalem people, around the Israelite people. And the reality is they had kind of grown accustomed to them being weak, to being able to take advantage of them. And so when they heard that they were going to rebuild, they realized that some of the power that they had, some of the the cash cow that they had going on to be able to take advantage of these people was going away. And so that's why they began to plot. But I love that verse, what Nehemiah says. When he says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to this threat. You know, it's interesting in our own lives when opposition comes, I think some of us kind of act like spoiled little kids. I'm just going to be honest. And maybe, maybe this is just me. But where we just pray, we say like, God, take care of this. And then a lot of us, if we're really honest, if God doesn't take care of it in the way that we want it, if he doesn't take care of it in a way where um, it doesn't cost us anything, where we don't have to lift a finger, we kind of get mad at God, right? We do this funny little thing where it's like, well, God, if you don't care, take care of this threat, you, the God who placed the stars in the sky, the creator of the universe, if you don't do this, then guess what? I'm not going to follow you anymore. That's supposed to be funny. Thank you for the pity laughs. But it's true, right? Does anyone else do this? We like, we, we try to negotiate with God as if we actually have an upper hand. I mean, think about it. It's like a person who comes into like a legal dispute and has zero opportunity to really negotiate. And we do that. But I love this idea of, of, of what I think about when I think about Nehemiah's response here is this. In our own life, when opposition comes, we should pray and fight. We should pray and fight because sometimes God is answering our prayers through our actions. There's this reality that sometimes we get so just crippled with fear, with indecision, that we see a, a, a mountain we must climb up. And we just, we just freeze. We say, all right, God, if you could take care of it, if you could make a way, that'd be great. 
You know, a great example in the Old Testament would be the, the fact that I do believe in a God who will part the Red Seas. If you never heard this story, God, God rescues this, his people group from uh, enslavement in Egypt and they come to a sea where there's no way that they could on their own continue forward. And so God makes this, the Red Sea part so they can cross. Now, can you imagine if in that moment, if Moses and the Israelite people would have been like, hey, God, like, that's really great that you did this, but could you also maybe, like, levitate us across? Like, we just, we don't really want to get our sandals possibly wet. I don't really want to accidentally step on some sort of sea creature. No, there was this reality that they still had to act, that God might have opened the door, he may have parted the Red Seas, but it's still us who have to walk through. And in every opposition we have in our life this morning, whether it be something in our work, in our family, uh, in our relationships, in some sort of personal life, there's this reality that, yes, we must pray. We must ask God to do what only God can do, but we also have to faithfully move forward and fight in a way that only we can fight. There's this reality that it's not just this thing where it's like pray and God takes care of all of it, that sometimes it still requires that we have to move forward. Now, that doesn't discount what God does. It doesn't discount God's power. But it's this reality that I think sometimes God wants to say, listen, part of my plan to answer your prayers is you to do something. You to follow my call. You to get up and go love your neighbor. You to have a conversation that you don't really want to trust, that you don't really want to have. And here's the reality. When it comes to opposition, I think there's two types of opposition, okay? There's external opposition and internal opposition. External opposition, internal opposition. External is probably not that surprising. It's, it's like what Nehemiah has. It has people who are literally standing in front of you and saying, listen, we're not for you, we hate you, we're going to destroy you. Now, the good news is I would say the vast majority of us probably don't have that in our life. We probably, hopefully for the most part, don't have people who like wake up every morning. We don't hopefully have a boss who like comes up each day and says like, I'm going to destroy you today. Like, hopefully we don't have uh, someone who's just like, you know, wanting to say, I want the, the ill for you. But external ones would be things like, um, you know, death, like sickness, like uh, broken relationships. There are all sorts of external opposition that come to our life. Some of them still are because of choices that we made. Some of them have nothing to do with us. But here's the reality. No matter what, we still have to face them. Even if that's, that's, that's sometimes I think this, this weird thing that we, we get stuck in sometimes, right? Is, but it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, today the snow came and some of us did ask for us, some of us didn't ask for it. But the reality is if we wanted to get out of our driveway, we still probably had to shovel. There are things that happen in our life that whether we like it or not, whether it's fun or not, we have to deal with. Can I let you guys in on a secret? The enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Whether you like it or not, man, Satan has no greater plans in his lifetime than to try to mess up our lives. And the reality is, just because he comes and tries to mess up our lives, doesn't mean we can just like sit there and be like, God, the devil's trying to do it again. I mean, sometimes we have to fight. Sometimes we have to meet it head on. But there's also this reality that there's also internal oppositions. There's fear, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's laziness. I'll be honest, that, that can hit one. I'll, I'll just be real with you guys. That can be one for me. There are days where it's like, man, I just don't even want to do this. It sounds really nice to do nothing. And I know that's wrong too. There's this reality too that, let me, let me say this, because we don't often talk about this in church. There are internal oppositions. 
Let me just say from a platform, mental illness is a real thing. And let me just say on behalf of Jesus or on behalf of the church, mental illness is not a sin. Dealing with depression, anxiety, different things like that does not make you wrong. There's not something in your life where where God is saying, if only you'd give up this, then all of this would be healed. There's been some really bad theology about mental illness. Paul, we have no idea what it was, but Paul was arguably one of the, the, the greatest Christians of all time. Talked about how he had a thorn in his side. He doesn't say what it was. And he, he said that he begged the Lord on three separate occasions to take it away from him. But he reminded them him that his grace was sufficient. That in his weakness he could make him strong. There's this reality that things like mental illness, they may be an opposition, but they aren't a sin. But let me say this to you, my friends, as well. Don't allow it to define you. For those of you who maybe have a loved one, don't be hurtful. Sometimes there's this reality that they need you to fight for them. That they need you to help them find help. Here at South Creek, one of our kind of taglines of who we proclaim to be is a place where it's okay not to have it all together and where you don't have to pretend to either. But also we're a place where we believe in journeying together. That we don't want to have to stay there. And you may be dealing with some opposition, internal or external. And let me just say this to you. God doesn't want to keep you there. It doesn't mean that he's going to always be able to magically just fix every little thing for the end of time. But there's this reality that, just as he said before, he will give us peace. And he has overcome the world. But sometimes we have to fight. If you miss anything this morning, please don't miss this. Opposition gives us an opportunity to trust God. I believe that is why opposition still happens in our world. I think sometimes we sit back and we say, but why does God allow opposition? Why does God allow things like this to happen? You know, I don't think that God works in a way where he sits back and he says, all right, I have this great idea. Let me give someone's loved one cancer so that way I can like draw them back to me. I don't think he does that, but I do think when opposition comes, he gives us this opportunity to trust him, to lean on him more. Think about it from the standpoint of working out, which is really laughable for me to use a analogy about working out because it's been a couple of thousand years since I did that. But you think about it. What is what is weight training, right? You're putting resistance, opposition on your body with the idea that it may break down a little bit, but it helps you become stronger and stronger. If you want to be able to deal with opposition in your life and in your future, if you want your children to be able to deal with opposition in future, do you know what you have to do? You have to allow them to experience opposition. You have to allow them to experience conflict, things that are going to be difficult, because the more that they can experience it in a healthy manner, the more they're going to be able to deal with it in their life later. I believe that with my whole heart. That's incredibly important. And in the midst of opposition, we can remind ourselves, we can remind our loved ones, that it's an invitation to trust in God's calling. You know, the reason why I think Nehemiah has the ability to easily deal with the opposition that comes at him is his mind is on the calling that God has given him to. He trusts that where God called him, what he called him to, that he will bring him through. There's no opposition that comes where Nehemiah has to say, I don't know, I I think God wasn't thinking about this one. He had this white, hot, just drive on the mission. And that's just the case. 
I'm going to invite the band back up because they're going to close this out with one more song in just a moment. But this is one of the pinnacle moments of Nehemiah's story in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. I love these verses. This is what it says. So after Nehemiah knows that, that there are enemies that are going to come attack them as they're still trying to fix up the wall, he just says this. He says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And then he said, after I looked over things... I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It's amazing what happens when you give a picture to them of what they're fighting for. Nehemiah in this moment didn't say, stand tall because we're going to be able to build this wall. Stand tall because you're going to have a great economic future. Stand tall because of all this. He, he literally personified for him. We're going to fight for our homes, for our family, for the people that we most dearly love. And the reality is that's a lesson for us that if we begin to re, reorient and retune our life into something that's based upon Jesus' mission, upon his will, upon his ways, it gives us this fight that is worth fighting for. You know, I think some people, one of their biggest struggles they end up having is they don't feel like their life has purpose. They, they haven't figured out why they're here on earth. They haven't figured out what is, what's worth getting up for each day. And might I suggest to you, your family, your loved ones, your friends, may I suggest the fact that you are bought with a very expensive price. That the God of all the universe saw you long before you were even a thought of anyone here on earth. Saw you in your good moments and your bad in your sin, your unfaithfulness, and said, I deem you worthy to send my son to die for you because I have a greater plan and purpose. And so much of it involves just being restored in a beautiful relationship with me. And so much of it after that has to do with me sending you back out to be a part of other people's stories. So may you know that, man, you were worth fighting for by the God of all the universe. And so the big question becomes, are you willing to fight for others in the same way that he's fought for you? And the big question is, what or who are you willing to fight for? Parents and grandparents, I hope that your children, your grandchildren, man, and their their spiritual journey is something that is worth fighting for. I hope that if you have a spouse, a parent, someone else who doesn't know Jesus yet, that that is something that is worth fighting for. Now, don't fight with them, but you fight for them. It's an amazing story what he ends up doing. So here's how Nehemiah's story continues on. In chapter 6, it says they, they, they continued on scheming over all this time to harm him. And they even sent a messenger at one point saying, saying, they, saying that they wanted Nehemiah to get off the wall. And this is what's cool. This isn't going to be up on the screen. But this is what Nehemiah said in the midst of them still building the wall and the enemy still trying to get at him. They, they, they wanted him to come. And Nehemiah's response was, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop because of that? Listen, opposition is always going to try to get you off track. But stay focused on the mission. It took 52 days and they completed the wall. And this is what it said at the very end of it. It said, uh, when all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of the Lord. Let me tell you right now. Right now, maybe if you are still in the midst of brokenness, man, the enemy sees you and says, what an easy target. But I promise you, if you would allow... God to restore you. 
if you would allow God to shore up things in your life, man, someday the enemy is going to tremble because of your presence, because of what you're doing in the life of your family, in your community, in the relationships that you've been given. So don't give up. When opposition comes, don't turn around. Don't retreat. Don't try to just say like, all right, God will take care of this. God is asking us to fight. Because the reality is, like we talked about with the, with the parent-child dedications, we're not dealing with temporary things. We're dealing with eternal things. And I believe that the people who we love most, our neighbors, they're worth fighting for. Would you guys stand with me as I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing one last song this morning about a God who fights for us, who is like a roaring lion. And because of that, we can have confidence and we can trust and we can continue to the fight because we know that truly at the end of the day, we're not the one who dictates the fight. The reality is whether you know it or not, the war has been won, but we need to still fight the battles. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for the fact that, God, you fight on behalf of us. God, you're the God who goes before us, who is in the trenches with us and and has been in our past the whole time. God, I pray maybe that this morning there are some of us who are dealing with intense opposition, whatever it may be. God, I pray that you would give us the courage, the bravery to continue fighting forward, to pray and post a guard. God, to, to, to gather our families and to just continue to fight against the enemy. Not fight with each other, but fight for each other. God, I pray that maybe there are some this morning, God, who have not known about the great love that you have for them. God, I pray that maybe this morning their story changes, that they choose to give their whole life to your son, Jesus. And God, we would just celebrate that. God, this morning, as we'll sing this song, as we will just celebrate who you are and how powerful you are, God, would this just be the cry of our heart that, God, we want to follow your calling and we want to fight for what you would fight for. Because, God, you fought for us. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.